Hi everyone, my name is Dean and you're listening to the MLOps podcast. As you probably know, machine learning in general and, and data science are two fields that are evolving all the time and it's really hard to keep up to date. Specifically, the area of bringing machine learning into production or into the real world seems like it's very confusing. There's a lot going on and it's hard to make sense of all that's happening around you. Um, but on the other hand, there are a lot of smart people that are doing great work in bringing their own projects into production. And we've had a chance to speak with a lot of these people, but it definitely seems like the information is not widespread enough and a lot of people don't know of best practices and how other teams work. So that's why we decided to start this podcast where we'll be speaking with people who are working in various types of machine learning teams and hearing about how they are bringing their projects into production. I hope you find this interesting and let's get started. Hi everyone, uh, thank you for joining the MLOps podcast. Today I have Julien Chamon from Hugging Face. Most of you have probably heard of Hugging Face. They've created some of the most widely used and loved libraries for machine learning. Uh, first and foremost is probably their transformers library, which started out from NLP, but now provides support for other types of models and lets you basically use them uh, uh, very easily and makes it much more accessible to a lot of people. Um, Julien is a co-founder and CTO at Hugging Face. Uh, and before he worked at this company, he graduated from Stanford with a, a, a master's in electrical engineering and computer science. This is Hugging Face's second startup uh, as an entrepreneur, um, and he has a ton of experience building machine learning system. And he's overall a really awesome guy. So hi, Julien, thank you for uh, joining me today. Hi, Dean, and uh, hi, everyone. So, so awesome. awesome to be here. Uh, yeah, thank you for, for giving us uh, your time. Um, I'll start by asking this question, which was uh, uh, surprising to me when I first heard it. So can you share the Hugging Face uh, origin story? How did you decide to start the company and where does the name come from? Yeah, um, so the name is, is, quite, uh, is quite random. Um, we were looking at emojis, kind of like uh, this, this, you know, defining uh, element of modern communication that is emojis. Uh, we want. We really wanted to pick like an emoji uh, as as a company name, um, and we kind of like uh, said to ourselves with Clément, my uh, my co-founder, um, that uh, the hugging face emoji is pretty unique in the fact that it's kind of like it's an emoji, so it's kind of like not non-human. At the same time, it has like human features, uh, the the hands, and it's doing like a really really human um gesture which is like giving a hug so i mean it's kind of like you know bridging uh machine and, and human in a way uh so we kind of like liked it and uh and uh yeah we didn't necessarily expect to stick with that name but uh it kind of like grew on us and i i feel like uh yeah it's a it's a nice nice emoji to pick um yeah, and we, 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 we started in, um, in uh, 2016, uh, really passionate about machine learning and, and especially about natural language processing. Like we were feeling that a lot of things were starting to happen in NLP back in, back in 2016. 
Um, and we basically wanted an excuse to, to leave our uh, previous companies and work full time on, on NLP. Um, so that, that was like the, the, the start of, of Hugging Face. Um, yeah, so it was like Clément uh, and, and Thomas, Thomas Wolf. Um, and, and yeah, we, 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 we grew the team pretty slowly at first. Uh, first couple of years were pretty interesting and, and, and we've been like super lucky um, to, to yeah, be, be part of this like machine learning NLP community at a time where um, you know a ton of things have, have happened and are going to continue to happen. That's, um, that makes a lot of sense. Regarding choosing uh, company names, I, I heard this uh, advice that you should always start with a horrible name on purpose, like choose a, a really bad name that you would never feel comfortable putting outside. Because if you choose something which is like in the middle, then you it grows on you and you stick with it, even if it's not perfect. So you decide the name just before the launch. Admittedly, we did the same thing at TagSub. So I don't I don't know if I could say that uh, it's easy to apply this advice to you, but but yeah. Um, so I guess you mentioned that you really wanted to work on NLP. Um, and I sort of uh, agree with you that NLP is super interesting and there's something uh, sort of fundamentally different about human communication. Um, but you recently launched uh, on Hugging Face support for audio and computer vision models. So I'm interested on your perspective, like why start with NLP uh, models? Why were you so excited about it? Um, yeah, so I'm, I mean, um, like language, language is, uh, is like, is the, the API to humans, right? Between humans, uh, it's what you use to communicate. It's what you do like 90% uh, like, uh, of your activities like using language, be it like, you know, sending emails, uh, calling someone on the phone, uh, talking to, to your family, your friends, anyone. Um, so yeah, we, we, we don't necessarily have like a strong reason why, but it's always been like our passion uh, we, we've always been like super excited about language. Um, and uh, yeah, that was kind of like our, our, uh, our initial um, uh, reason to get into machine learning was to be able to, yeah, to like spend some time, some, yeah, really, really trying to um, catch up with what was happening in, in machine learning applied to text um and uh yeah really like a really really uh, um strong interest in 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 language natural language cool and so today um hugging face is a is a huge success and there's a huge community honestly out of all the sort of open source communities i've seen in the machine learning world i don't think that uh, there is any community that loves the tool that they're using more than the hugging face community. Uh, I would I would even use terms like religiously love, but maybe maybe that's too strong. But people really love this library. I'm wondering, like, if you could share what was the moment that you understood that this is going to be super successful. Like, where where do you say like, holy cow, this is going to the moon? Maybe in in modern terms. 
Yeah, so I mean, first, uh, it's like super humbling to have this this uh, this community that that well of of super skilled, super talented people all over the globe, uh, basically like uh, enjoying what what we do, and 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 also it's not something that we do for the community. It's it's basically we try to help the community do stuff themselves right like i mean we 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 are part of the community more than kind of like a company that tries to do do stuff with the community um i mean it's yeah it's super humbling and, and to be honest like uh yeah it's something that's uh pretty unique i feel like um like a lot of people on the team are like, uh, you know, like they tell me and, and I, I feel the same thing. Like uh, every morning, it's like uh, super exciting to get up because uh, you have this uh, incredible energy from the, from the community. And uh, yeah, we have this, this, uh, this, this chance of, of, uh, of being able to, yeah, like uh, serve the community. Uh, and, and again, those are like super, super, talented skilled people uh everywhere so so i mean it's it's awesome to to answer your uh, your question um so from right from the start of the company uh 2016 we started doing some open source we had uh, one of our first like open source libraries was um a neural uh, co-reference resolution um library so Co-reference resolution is basically uh, linking uh, pronouns to subjects in a sentence, um, like um, uh, my wife uh, got up late uh, this morning. She was uh, she slept really late because of the heat wave in Paris right now. Um, that's real. So uh, she she is my wife and 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 uh, that so that's co-reference resolution. We we had this first uh, library that was like uh, built on top of uh, Spacey, which is a great uh, NLP library. Um, it had some success, uh, but yeah, like uh, to my point, that uh, pretty much from the start we were interested in like uh, publishing stuff as open source because we felt that um it was like a, a good way of like making sure that what we were building was was useful to others as well um and i mean uh yeah pretty much in like 2018 there, there is this uh this uh bert paper coming out uh thomas wolf um uh took like a week um where he and we with a few other people from the team uh didn't didn't sleep much uh ported the original tensorflow implementation uh to pytorch and we found out that a lot of people were looking for a nice clean um implementation of bert in pytorch and and uh yeah like pretty much over the, the course of a few weeks we felt like oh wow this 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 is really useful to to a lot of uh, a lot of uh, users, um, and yeah, that that was kind of like the, the the starting point of our focusing more and more on uh, doing everything up in the open by default, trying to make it as easy as possible for 
uh, anyone to access, access like the state-of-the-art models published by you know like the big tech companies, the best universities in the world. Um, we, when when they release code or models uh, that not, they are not necessarily optimized for uh, actual uh, usage from from anyone. So we we really felt like it was super useful. Um, for us to to start doing that and uh, and uh, yeah the adoption has been uh, has been has been great. That's that's really really impressive. Uh, I guess first it's it's uh, crazy how both uh, computer vision and then NLP had this like one transformative model. Uh, always you say like science moves forward in small steps, but then you have this uh, game changing. Uh, uh, Bert, uh, which is which is really crazy, and I did not know that you implemented it so uh, quickly after it came out. That's also very impressive. Um, I, I guess this is an interesting point because you're sort of combining um, sort of on one hand the community, which is usually uh, uh, or not usually, but maybe a lot of times people that don't have access to the resources that the big players like Google, who created Bert, uh, have. And then how how do you and, and you sort of need the, this balance of on one hand working with the code and the things that cre that are created in the larger organizations and then making them um, you know uh, building them out for humans and not just for uh, cutting edge research groups um, and and I guess today if there's one thing that that uh, uh, seems a constant trend is that the best models seem to be bigger and bigger. Uh, which also means that they require more resources. So how how do you how do you balance this? Like one on one hand, trying to reproduce and host the best models, and on the other hand, sort of uh, still wanting to be relevant to the community. And also, of course, like now that you have this huge community, I'm guessing that the ideal situation is that more and more would come from the community. So how do you make that accessible to them uh, conveniently? Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a super good question. Um, um, on on the research side, like a lot a lot of uh, so we, we do have like a, a really good uh, research team inside inside Thinking Face as well, um, and they collaborate a lot with like you know the best best uh, the best research labs in 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 private companies and in in uh, academia as well um yeah you're right like uh, models are getting bigger and bigger um on the science side on the production side what's really really cool um so basically you know like 2018 2019 those those big models um uh, were uh when came out um but they were still not super used in 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 production in in actual like you know production uh, work workloads in companies. Um, what's been happening since 2020 is that a lot of uh, a lot of uh, use cases are now starting to be addressed by deep learning models, something that we didn't really see before. Um, like, uh, you know, a lot of companies had like uh, machine learning or data science teams, but uh, then in production, they didn't like they have like uh, less modern um, machine learning models. Um, and, and it was a kind of like a, a struggle to for, for, for their uh, 
for their you know machine learning models to move from from uh, experimentation to to production that that i felt i feel like uh, this changed a lot over the past year basically and now a ton of companies are actually using those kind of like large models maybe not the largest ones right but uh, like you know bird, bird size models uh, in production and so it's been it's been amazing because uh, because uh, uh, yeah a, lo a lot of those companies are are really seeing benefits of of using those kinds of models in production versus what they what they did, what, what they were doing before so I, I feel like uh, you know like the the model sizes are increasing on the production side and also obviously increasing on on the research side uh, obviously like almost no company is using like you know uh, um, 10, 10 billion uh, parameters models in production except for like the biggest the biggest tech companies maybe um, but uh, yeah there's there this kind of trend uh, to to move to bigger and bigger models that uh, we, we are happy to so so we started monetization like uh, we, we we have a few like we are, we have some some customers who are those those types of companies looking to uh, deploy uh, deep learning models um, to production and uh, yeah it's been super interesting working with them on on helping them uh, unlock the potential of of those those modern models in their uh, in their use cases. I think for me the the moment where I said. Uh something here has changed with respect to bringing these huge models to production is uh i think at the beginning of 2020 some sometime around then uh, google announced that they're going to apply bird to their search um that was like some product that probably every human that has access to internet is using and it's going to have this uh like very big model behind it so so to me that was a uh, like a watershed moment or or something like that I guess you, you mentioned that you're seeing this across the industry, but I'm wondering, aside from Hugging Face, which has obviously had uh, its share of contribution to this, wh why do you think it's happening now? Like what's changed that, that more companies can afford or, or are actually putting these large models into production? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I think, it, yeah, it's, it's not just us, but uh, like a, a ton of companies are uh, providing services and, and, and tooling around you know, like uh, machine learning uh, tooling, machine learning ML ops. Um, it's it's uh, what, what you guys are doing as well at Bags Hub, um, other companies as well. I feel like it's easier and easier, and, and we are we are striving to 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 democratize access to those, those kinds of models as well. Um, it's becoming easier and easier to experiment. And then it's becoming easier and easier to to deploy to production as well. Um, yeah, a, a lot of uh, there's a lot of value in the intersection of uh, engineering, software engineering, and 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 machine learning. Something that we've uh, believed for a really long time. But uh, you know, like BERT, if you run BERT uh, out of the box, you're gonna gonna already have like a decent performance. If you're really looking for scalability, uh, low latency, um, cost per inference, you can do um, you can do things 
like there, there's an array of, of, of optimization, hardware, software that you can use to make it like super, super efficient. And I mean, at scale, so we, we, are, we, we can help, like we help a lot of companies actually on exactly this kind of, uh, of workload, like uh, scaling, uh, BERT type inference. Um, it, we, we managed to, to do it uh, and, and then to perform inference um, uh, on BERT in, on the scale of like a few milliseconds. Um, so like super, super low latency. If you manage like a cost effective way, if you manage to achieve a cost effective way of reaching, you know, like sub, sub, like few milliseconds inference at scale uh, on BERT size models, there's pretty much like no reason not to put them into production because the, the, yeah, it's going to be like super cheap. Basically, like we have some customers who are, who are doing like uh, uh, who, are, who are performing like you know uh, tens of millions of requests per hour, uh, like in the messaging space or stuff like that. If you want to you know like classify every message, uh, you know spam detection stuff like that, bullying detection stuff like that. Um, you want to feed every message that you get on your platform inside a BERT uh, model. Um, if it takes like just a few milliseconds and you're able to do it like on, on a few machines, um, on a few like CPU machines, especially, it's going to be like a no brainer to, to actually deploy those kind of models because they are going to perform so much better than like custom models that you train from scratch, which was the, the paradigm that you had before. Like, uh, yeah, the, the, the types of models that I was mentioning before, um, models that people had in production uh, two years ago, they are pretty much like trained from scratch on small annotated data sets that were custom to uh, those companies. Whereas like the current uh, um, machine learning, like transfer learning paradigm is uh, you take a large model that's been pre-trained on a, on a, on a non-annotated data set and then you find you need like super efficiently it's called a sam sample efficiency. You don't need as many, yeah, like you, you need way less annotated samples to reach uh, same or better uh, performance on your uh, end, end use case, which is, which is awesome. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a game game changer in machine learning. I was trying to explain uh, to a friend what uh, uh, fine tuning a model means, uh, like, I don't know, at a high level. It's like saying that the old models, you had to uh, bring all the knowledge to the model yourself. And that's a lot of hard work. And today you can bring sort of this uh, common knowledge, this trivia knowledge from outside, and then just teach the finer details of what you want them, the, the model to learn. Um, mm. So I, I agree, this is probably one of the largest game changers that we had. And this is across the board, like it's now being used also in, in other domains, even though it mm. started mostly, I think, in, uh, um, in, in NLP, or, or at least we saw the returns more on, uh, from NLP. Um, yep. I guess you have a very unique situation. Uh, maybe a lot of people are envious uh, of you, not, not because you have such a, an amazing and exciting community, but also because you get the chance to work on so many models and productions. Like a lot, a lot of times we speak to companies that have, like you say, a large data science team, but one model in production. Um, and so 
because of your model hub where users can experiment with models sort of easily online, which is really awesome. If you know someone non-technical and you want them to be excited about, uh, about uh, uh, machine learning, probably the easiest way I know right now is to go on your model hub, choose some uh, sample and just let them type in something. I, I really think it's like a magical experience. Um, so, so you can use uh, uh, sort of state-of-the-art models to predict on uh, your own input, which is really cool, but it also means that you have a ton of models in production in real time with a ton of requests and everything, which I think few companies successfully manage. So I'm interested to hear if you can share how you do it and what are the challenges you've come, you've overcome along the way uh, in doing this. Mm. So first, like the first point is maybe that um, as those models are pretty similar, like mo most of them are uh, transformers models, obviously, uh, they share a lot of uh, architectural stuff. So if we manage to um, uh, optimize some of those, uh, we can pretty much uh, transfer that, that knowledge to other models as well. So I mean, a lot of the optimizations that we do uh, to run models in production, for instance, um, is kind of like horizontal um, and can be applied to all models uh, at, at once, which is, uh, which is awesome. So we have this uh, deep knowledge, obviously, of, like the, of the models themselves. Um, and, and yeah, we can apply this, this knowledge the fact that we have like a super, super strong uh, open source team, but we also have like a stronger and stronger uh, machine learning optimization team. So like people who are good at like, uh, you know, like diving into the internals of uh, the machine learning frameworks and even deeper to like uh, the internals of like uh, computing uh, hardware devices like uh, CPU or GPUs. Um, so yeah, we, we try to optimize uh, those models as, as much as we can across the board. Um, and then, uh, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, like a standard, like uh, cloud computing architecture. Uh, so like stuff like uh, Kubernetes, um, where we um, uh, launch models on the fly. So we don't keep all of those models. We have like uh, more than 10,000 models publicly available on, the, on our uh, model hub right now. Um, not all of them are uh, alive in the inference API all the time. Some of them are because um, uh, users are using it uh, like on, on production use cases, for instance. So we kind of like pin them to be always on. But some of them, the, the ones that, uh, for instance, you you try every once in a while, you you play with like the inference widgets on the on the model page. Um, it has to be uh, loaded on the fly. So we that that way uh, we keep like the cost of running this infrastructure uh, reasonable. Um, there are a lot of things that we still want to improve on on that subject. But uh, yeah, the 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 gist of it is. Uh, is uh, using like a modern cloud computing infrastructure to um, deploy models on the fly, depending on uh, different sets of, uh, of, of constraints. It sounds very impressive. Maybe I'll ask uh, 
a more specific question, like um, what would be, if, if you had to choose one, what would be the biggest challenge that you've uh, conquered with respect to uh, machine learning and production at Hugging Face? Um, I would say that something that's, uh, we, we are kind of like uh, in the process of uh, shipping to in, in private beta with a few customers. Uh, if anyone is watching and has like a, uh, a lot of like production constraints related to low latency or volume of uh, requests, uh, feel free to get in touch. We have this, uh, yeah, this, this product that's in beta that uh, companies will be able to deploy um, on, on prem if they need to. So basically on their own hardware. Um, and it's like super, super optimized. Uh, and that's, that's, the, that's the system that's we, that we are using to get to like, you know, sub, sub millisecond inference times at scale on uh, bird size models. Um, so um, we, without like diving too, too much in the details of it, it's, uh, you know, like uh, uh, building on top of like a lot of great work from um, like cutting edge hardware manufacturers like uh, NVIDIA, Intel uh, and others. Um, there is this uh, kind of like standard um, serialization format for machine learning mod machine learning models, which is called Onyx. Um, and then there is uh, a lot of really, really great work happening right now on efficient ways of running Onyx um, models um, at, at scale. To give like for anyone who wouldn't be like too familiar about Onyx and, and, uh, and uh, potential uh, inference optimizations, I can maybe give one example, which is like pretty cool. Um, it's called uh, operator fusion. Um, so basically you have this graph of a very large uh, deep learning model with, uh, you know, like a sequence of operations, like for instance, you know, like, uh, uh, mat mat matrix multiplication followed by uh, softmax, right? Or, or an, an activation function. Um, if you know that you're going to optimize your model for production on like a specific hardware, there, there are some tools right now that, that are going to take this static graph and they are going to compile it in a way, uh, like fusing some of the operations together to run them as like one single uh, hardware operation, like for instance, ma ma matrix multiplication and then like activation function. If you do it uh, sequentially, it's going to be slow. If you have access to hardware that can blend uh, those operations together as one like single instruction, uh, you, you should definitely do it. Um, and those tools are, are capable of doing that. And uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Like uh, it means that each time you deploy a model to like a specific hardware, the model is going to, you know, optimize itself to run like super efficiently uh, for, for the instruction set that you have on, on the hardware. That sounds 
crazy awesome and i'm intrigued to learn more i guess the yeah. uh, personal touch here is i'm uh from israel and we have uh, habana which was an israeli company that was acquired by intel not long ago for a lot of money yeah uh yeah they are doing very interesting things in uh in that area though it's very hush hush i'm sure some of the people working there will be listening to this so uh so shout out um Awesome. So I guess one question which is uh, specifically interesting uh, for me is sort of um, there is this hardware challenge or not hardware, but uh, uh, let's say uh, the ops challenge of transitioning a model from, you know, what the data scientist was working on into production environment. Um, and, and that's that's there are tools. Uh, like DAGS Hub or, or others that you mentioned that that help doing that that help in doing that process, um, but I think that there's a huge part that workflows play in this, uh, and I'm interested to hear how the transition from research to production uh, looks like at Hugging Face. So if I'm a data science data scientist working uh, in the in the research team, I have this some this new cool thing that I've created. What do I now do until the point that it's in production and and the end users can can use it? Um, I think it depends a lot on the on the companies or the organizations. Um, what we've seen more and more is uh, you know like the machine learning team or data science team uh, inside uh, inside the company um, is like pretty sophisticated. They know a lot about machine learning, um, and and then they are in touch with like the, the production team or like the DevOps um, uh, infra team at their companies, which is usually like at least like an order of magnitude larger in terms of, of size uh, to like the the machine learning team. But what what we're seeing is that they manage to talk more and more. Um, it's easier and easier for like, you know, like uh, infrastructure people, uh, software developers, software engineers to uh, grasp uh, the fundamental, uh, the fundamentals of, of ML. It's also easier and easier, uh, I feel like, uh, for, you know, more classical like uh, data scientists, machine learning, uh, engineers to grasp a little bit about um, production. So I, I feel like in, in the companies that we that we see, um, it's, it's starting to be easier and easier for bridges to be built inside the organization, inside the organizations between, um, you know, like software engineering, infra and, and, and machine learning. Okay, that yeah, I, I I tend to agree. I think we're probably going to meet somewhere in the middle. Uh, yeah, and I'll ask another specific question about this. Do you guys use uh, notebooks uh, in research? And if you do, when do you transition from notebooks into like Python modules? I know that's a recurring question. Um, I, I think it depends really on the individuals. Um, um yeah I, I think like a, a lot of tooling is is being built uh and and makes it easier uh to you know like switch from notebook to to code um so that's great i'm personally i don't use a lot of notebooks uh, i'm basically like you know like pop open like a 
uh, Python like debugger, uh, VS Code or PyCharm, anything, and, and pretty much dive into the code right away. But I realized that like not everyone has the same uh, workflow. Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I feel like it's it's not too hard to move uh, some code out of a notebook and and into like a, uh, you know like a, if like for instance if you do like a, there there are some tools that you can use like to build like a, uh, you know like even like web web prototypes web demos like Streamlit, Gradio. Gradio is uh, is super awesome in, in my opinion. It's like super simple, but uh, it, it does the job perfectly. You basically like specify the inputs of a model, the output types of a model, and it, it builds like this uh, super simple interface for it. Um, even like we, we yeah, uh, it's pretty easy as well to, you know, like spawn like a Starlet server, Flask server, uh, and expose like a super simple HTTP endpoint uh, on top of, um, of of your model. So I see more and more, uh, you know, like data scientists, machine learning engineers uh, do, doing those those types of like um, quick prototypes, which is great because that way, like way more people, way more like stakeholders inside the, the organizations can uh give feedback like super early on it's not like uh okay we are going to, we are going to spend like six months uh building a model and in six months we are just going to hand off this model to like the production team and they will have no idea what it does no idea what its uh, limitations are and uh, yeah they, they they will be like completely clueless and then if you're lucky like six months later maybe it will be deployed or more, more often than not it, it won't um, so I feel like every every tool, like there are so many super cool machine learning tools right now. Um, every one of these tools is useful because it makes it easier to communicate about what we're what we're doing as as machine learning engineers. Communicate with other uh, stakeholders, uh, and yeah, build build machine learning as as part of like uh, an organization rather than uh, in in our own like silo in a way. Connecting it to like understanding that machine learning is a part of the product and not sort of a living in a separate world is, I think, very important. Um, cool. So I'll ask a few maybe higher level questions and then we'll get to some questions from uh, the audience, the community. Um, the first one is, uh, what do you think is the most interesting topic in machine learning right now? When you guys started, maybe like NLP and transformers uh, were the hottest thing, but what do you think is the hottest topic? at the moment and maybe also specifically what do you think is the most interesting topic in machine learning in production um, and why mm. um i mean I, i'm super passionate about uh again like the intersection of like software engineering and and uh, and machine learning so i'm super excited about all the all the different things that are happening around like ml ops ml tooling uh, I feel like we're only at the start of what we what we can achieve, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's really like you know, um, um, the goal is really for it in my mind to unleash the potential of 
the state of the art research that that's happening and make it like you know like uh uh 10x uh fast like make research 10x faster and make um deploy like make deployment to production 100x faster um if, if machine learning uh, tooling manages to achieve those kinds of like orders of magnitude uh, i feel like machine learning is going to have like a huge impact and it's going to like you know um, be deployed pretty much everywhere um yeah and for machine learning, as in maybe the more the research side, is there any topic that you're specifically excited about? I don't know, reinforcement learning or uh, huge models like GPT-3. Um, I'm I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about um, like super large models. I'm not that excited about them because I mean they're interested in in the way that they stress test uh, the the infrastructure um but but like nobody is really going to use them out of the box in production uh so i'm not like super excited about this this uh research uh avenue of like going bigger and bigger for the sake of going bigger and bigger well what i'm super excited about is obviously we've seen like super large models um in the in the past year I'm super excited about this initiative that we are a part of, which is like codenamed uh, Big Science, uh, where we have this plan of uh, building a super large language model um, and training it uh, ourselves, but in the open, as part of like an open, uh, wide-reaching uh, collaboration with um, the the largest possible number of uh, institutions, like uh, companies and and and, and uh, universities. Um, so I'm really excited because uh, that way, um, yeah. Because so far, like the super, the largest models they've been built like by uh, by uh, one specific company, and like not a lot of uh, researchers, for instance, including on subjects such as like you know uh, biases, ethics, um, um, efficiency. Um, uh, Client, client, like uh, energetic efficiency as well. Um, they haven't been able to really uh, dive into those models because they're pretty much like the the, the models of like specific companies like OpenAI, Google. Um, so this this big science initiative is super exciting because um, it's super open. And so yes, one of the goal is at the end to have as an artifact. Uh, a super large model, but it's also the process of getting there that's interesting and that's open. Um, and so, you know, like the data collection, uh, how can we how can we build everything from scratch with the goal of making it uh, more ethical? So let's let's just not scrape, just Reddit, for instance. Uh, because uh, of course you're going to have like a, a quality of data issue if you just like take Reddit as an input. 
how can we balance the data sets? How can we make sure that every language is going to be represented? Um, yeah, those are those are super interesting questions, and I, I uh, really look forward to. It's going to be a long-term project. It's going to be like a, a year or maybe a year and a half long project. But I uh, look, I really look forward to like the the, the initial results from this this project because uh, yeah, I feel like it's it's the first time. Um, T Thomas Wolf has kind of like he's, he is uh, he, he has like a background in a personal background in physics. He's been describing this this collaboration as kind of uh, kind of like the the CERN CERN of of of, uh, of machine learning. Um, yeah, like a super open collaboration with high ambitions of of having like a super large impact at the end. That is something I can uh, get behind. Like um, when I guess on a personal level, when we started out uh, Dagza, part of the uh, or origin story for us was um, it's we wanted to make it easy to do open source data science, uh, which is basically what you described, where the whole process of training the model uh, is a community effort, and and people can come in from the outside and and take part, and it doesn't. It's not constrained to the labs of the top organizations. Uh, so I, I uh, empathize with everything you said, and I, I need to read more about this uh, and see how how we can help. Um, but this sounds I think this is very, very exciting. Um, sounds good. Great. Uh, <laughs> so um, learning is something important to probably everyone in the world, but also specifically when you're working in a sort of cutting edge uh, field like machine learning. So on a broader level, it doesn't have to be related specifically to machine learning or to what you're doing at Hugging Face. Uh, what things have you learned recently or are you currently learning? Um, let me see. Um, I'd say that, uh, so, so we've been like super lucky to obviously have like, a, uh, so Hugging Face is a company, obviously, of course, it's like a community driven project as well. But uh, we still, you know, like uh, raise money and have this goal of uh, uh, building products that are going to be useful enough for people so that we can monetize them and, and sustain like the whole, um, you know, open, open, open source, open science approach to machine learning. Um, so as, as part of that, we, we've, we are in the process of growing the team and, and uh, and uh, it's super interesting. Uh, honestly, like it's it's been like the, one of the most interesting uh, things I've been learning uh, ever is um, how to, how do you grow how, how do you manage to like grow a team in a way that's um, balanced that in a way that works well for you know like both like uh, personal productivity. Keep keep everyone as productive as possible, but also keep everyone aligned on uh, this goal of like basically building the place on the web where the whole like community of ML uh, gets together to build to build the future of AI. Um, yeah, trying to keep this balance of like personal productivity for everyone in the team as well as get like being more and more aligned on like the long term vision of making something great 
uh, and super impactful uh, in the open is like a super uh, is is super interesting to to learn about. No, none of us is like a, you know super experience at like building large teams. So it's 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 a learning it's a learning experience and uh, yeah it's super super interesting. What about you? What uh, what have you learned uh, recently? That's kind of like an open ended question, which yeah is a is a great is a great question. Yes, I, I relate to what you're saying, like um, we're also growing the team and that's always, uh, there's this saying that's, that hiring is the hardest part of, uh, of building a company and I, I don't, it's hard to say uh, if that's true because there are a lot of hard parts about building a company, uh, but it's definitely one of the harder parts. So we spend a lot of time trying to think about, uh, I mean, exactly what you said, which is how do we grow the team while maintaining the culture and the vision and, and sort of having everyone uh, very focused on, on what we want to achieve. Another thing, uh, so I, I'm reading, it's not, I mean, I, I'm learning uh, by way of reading. So, um, so two things that are interesting is, um, one thing I'm reading is the history of Netflix. Um, so that's very interesting from an entrepreneurial perspective. Uh, the book is, uh, is called That Will Never Work. Uh, and it's written by the first CEO of Netflix. So it's super interesting because he's um, he's like giving you the firsthand view of a very early stage of a company that now everyone knows, but at the time, you know, uh, it was struggling like any other startup. So uh, having hindsight is like 2020, but I think it's a, it, it, it gives a lot of, um, a lot of good uh, points of view on the process. Uh, my, my favorite quote from the book so far is actually a quote from another book, which I don't remember who wrote, uh, where no, which is nobody knows anything. Uh, and the point in, in the context of uh, entrepreneurship, or but I, I guess this also applies to machine learning, is that a lot of times the uh, development that will change the world or make your company successful or uh, whatever is uh, exactly the development that you thought doesn't make sense and, and would never work. Um, so, so his claim, which I tend to agree with, is that the key, um, the key capability uh, for success is not having good ideas, but just experimenting with as many ideas as possible. Because you, you won't know which ideas are good and which are bad. And if you experiment with more ideas, you, you grow your chances of, of landing a good one. Um, so that's that's like one thing that I've been uh, thinking about a lot recently. We actually want to print this on our office wall because I think uh, it's uh, it's a good reminder to be humble and uh, um, and and I, I I really I really empathize with it. Um, and the other thing is, um, you know, we're both both of our companies uh, care about uh, uh, communities of of technical people, uh, data scientists, machine learning engineers, developers, um, and so. I'm, we're learning a lot all the time, both from the community, like interacting, um, but also maybe in a more academic way about what's the best way to do that. Uh, like, how do you provide value uh, to, uh, to these uh, communities and everything? So that's also something that is uh, on my mind and, and um, I'm actively learning about. Awesome. Um, so now I'll ask you a, a controversial question. So tell me something that is true, but few people agree with uh, in either the fields of machine learning, uh, MLOps, or other fields you're interested in. 
Um, yeah, maybe this uh, it's kind of like more on the you know business building side more than on the machine learning and technical side. Um, but um, you know there there is this view that it's it's hard to build like a large company um, uh, on on open source. Um, the examples of like successful companies in open source they tend to be like pretty much all in the infrastructure space, right? Like database, uh, search engines. Uh, or, or even like a low, lower level stuff like uh, deep deployment platforms, stuff like deep deployment systems, stuff like that. Um, there is no like super successful, obviously uh, open source machine learning company because uh, I mean this field is kind of like still recent. Um, what, what I would say that like we we strongly believe. But uh, it's it's not like super obvious yet. Um, is that yeah the intersection of like open source, open science, and and machine learning is gonna be is gonna be incredibly successful. Um, uh, and and it's gonna yeah bring bring um, life to a new generation of like open source type companies that are not going like that are going to be nothing like the previous generation of open source companies it's like totally different beast um, but but uh, i think that uh, yeah th th those companies are going to be like super successful um, yeah it's maybe not controversial but it's it's yeah a strong conviction that not everyone is is probably agreeing with fair enough uh, that I, I think that um, uh, I remember the stories of the early open source companies where they would go to, I don't know, raise around or, or talk to customers and the response would be like, what are you crazy? You're, you're putting all of your, uh, the core IP of your company out in the open, like someone will steal it from you and then you won't have a company anymore. Uh, and I think we're beyond that point right now, but I agree with you that uh, machine learning open source is very different from software open source and definitely infrastructure open source. So there's there's uh, there's still things that remain to be uh, proven. Uh, but I agree with your with your controversial or maybe semi-controversial uh, uh, statement. Yeah. yeah. Also, maybe just adding to this to this uh, point. Um, Machine learning is probably kind of unique in the sense that if you, when you deploy models in production or training or inference, it's like super expensive, right? Like the compute is expensive, like training model costs a lot of money. Um, so I feel like if, if we improve the tooling, it's gonna be more accessible. It's gonna be, you know, le less and less expensive over time, especially compared to like the, the impact that it's going to have. Um, but at the same time, more and more companies are going to de to deploy machine learning, and those, yeah, the the aggregate sum of like uh, computing costs involved in machine learning is probably go is probably going to go up. 
Uh, I mean, it's definitely going to go up, and it's like a, it's it's like massive, right? Um, so th those kinds of like machine learning tooling companies, uh, they have this advantage compared to you know old open source companies in that um, there is an inherent um, stream of like uh, infrastructure that's pretty seamlessly integrated with, with machine learning. Con you can't do machine learning without uh, significant infrastructure. Um, so yeah, pretty much um, this, this, is, this is going to be, my, my point is that, yeah, this is going to be massive. I agree with that as well. Um, so so I, I guess I'm, I'm not the uh, few people, but, uh, um, or I am the few people, sorry. Uh, cool, so I'll open it up to community questions. Um, we'll try to get through all of them, though I, I'm, I'm not sure um, how much time you have, so we'll get through what we can, and I apologize to uh, someone if we didn't get to your question. Um, I'll start with a question from uh, Mathieu. So he's a CTO of a company called Yokai, um, which is also a French uh, company. Um, so, uh, and, he, and he asked me to say that they're hiring. So if, if, uh, if you're looking for a job working in a, in a really interesting machine learning company, uh, you should reach out to him. Um, but his question, uh, which I really am interested in hearing uh, what you have to say about is, um, you have uh, a huge success at leveraging research teams. Um, and I think, again, that's pretty, that puts you in a pretty unique place. There are other very successful companies with research teams, but most of them are significantly uh, bigger. Uh, and, and, you know, like Google and stuff like that aren't a good example for, uh, for anything. So maybe what are your tips for um, organizing research teams in an industry setting? Um, so I would probably give two, two answers. Like the first one is the obvious one, like uh, human, like just human interest, uh, like, you know, people, by, by default, people are really interested in like what other people, what other people are doing. So like if you, if you manage to build an organization or to, or to foster an organization where people have a way to reach out to other people in other teams, uh, you'll, you'll be able to bridge that gap between research and production uh, in the end. Because like, yeah, software engineers are interested in machine, are more and more interested in machine learning and even uh, including on, in the, in the researchy side of it. And uh, researchers, scientists are, are more and more interested in, uh, in, in, um, in actually deploying those models in a, in a, in the right way as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like a, yeah, just organization, uh, stuff. Um, and the second part is like a lot of what we are doing is, uh, actually like API design, uh, kind of like thinking, like spending a lot of time thinking as as with with as part of groups open groups of how to best represent uh like for instance the the inputs and the outputs of a model but not not for one specific model but to be to be applic applicable to um whole ranges of models or problems or use cases at the same time 
So if you can um, emphasize that API design is an important part and design in, in general is, to, is an important part of user experience, developer experience, and it's going to make your life way easier in the long term. It's easier for people to spend some time to, to, to acknowledge that they need to think uh, about those kind of subjects before jumping in and, uh, and, and coding, basically. Thanks for the tips. This is uh, useful. Um, second question is uh, from Yosef. Um, so regarding accelerated uh, inference and specifically for GPT-NEO, the 2.7 billion uh, parameter model, um, there's currently no way to use loss functions. Is this something that you plan to release in the future? Uh, yes, yeah, so we, we actually talked about this uh, right before the call. <laughs> um, so the, the inference API that we provide is basically like, you know, static versions of models. Uh, so you, you don't like, you don't, you don't train those models. It's like a, a, a different product. Uh, so you don't have a way of, of specifying a loss function. We do have this product called auto NLP where you can, uh, uh, you know, like fine tune a model. So for instance, if you want to start from, you know, like one, one specific checkpoint of GPT Neo and fine tune it. Uh, you can you can do it, and there's like a lot of uh, hyperparameters that you you can specify. By default, Auto NLP is going to like pick the best ones, like do a, basically like a hyper hyperparameter search and, and pick the best performing ones. But uh, yeah, there, there's a lot of flexibility, so you can you can pretty much uh, tweak tweak what you need to tweak. Okay, so your stuff is covered. Just that you need to use Auto NLP. Um, so we have a uh, first question from uh, Uri Goren, um, who's uh, a, among other things, uh, an NLP guy. Um, what is the most common use of hugging face? Is it information retrieval, uh, like sentence bird classification generation, if you, if you have the stats? Um, uh, in, on, the, on the research side, uh, I would say all of them. Okay. On the production side, I would say definitely like classification. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, actual use cases uh, in 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 organizations are around like you know document classifications or or token token classification to do like uh, information ex extraction. Um, um, OpenAI was, was kind of like uh, saying that, you know, even like a classification problem can be solved by using a generation model, which is technically true. But we found that in most organizations right now, it's not an efficient way of, of solving like a classification problem. Uh, the efficient way of solving a classification problem is to just like fine tune a classification model. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's a major, majority of use cases in, in, in the industry are, are classification problems. I don't know if you guys saw, saw the same thing on, on the subset of like DAG sub users who are training uh, NLP models, but uh, yeah, for, for me, it's, uh, it's clear uh, on, the, on, the, on the usage side. 
Interesting. Yeah, I, I feel like generation, like text generation is really an interesting uh, problem. It's, it's cool. There are a lot of aspects to it that are, that are um, compelling, uh, especially after GPT-3 came out and a lot of people showed demos of stuff that it can do. It looks very compelling, but then the, the devil is in the details. And the question is, how efficient is it in, in production? And can you actually use it for real world stuff? And I would definitely say that, I mean, we probably have much less experience than you guys have in this, but uh, classification seems to us also more uh, more common. And then information retrieval, and then I would say generation is is probably still last, but that might change. Like, it would be interesting to see trends. Like, maybe maybe it's it's the least, but it's like trending very high uh, upward. So I don't know. Um, so the other question from uh, Uri was. Um, uh, that text generation requires a search algorithm. So an example he gave was a beam search and many uh, use cases required, uh, require constraint search like uh, text to SQL or something like that. Is that something like these search algorithm, algorithms is something that you're planning on uh, integrating into the transformers library, if you can share? um yeah i mean in general like the, the code base is like super we're, we're super open to any uh any contribution and and especially in the on the generation side i feel like uh um we have like a lot of uh, super talented people who, who have like uh improved improved the code base over time um so yeah de definitely definitely cool uh this next question is from uh, Jonathan. Um, so are you planning on adding integrated vision and language models into the transformer library? So I guess this also applies to the answer you just gave a moment ago, but I think he's talking about things like uh, Dolly, where you have uh, multiple inputs and outputs and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, yeah. And sure. I think, uh, yeah, multi-modal models are, are, are super cool, um, yeah. I I, uh, I think they are going to have like also some some really interesting use cases outside of uh, research like super uh, super quickly. Yeah, I, I personally I was more impressed by Dali than I was by GPT three. So it looks yeah. more um, more practical even I would say. But uh, but again, yeah. this is this is me personally. Um, yeah. So so yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, the next question is uh, from uh, Imri. So. Um, he is asking about the business side. So what is your long-term business model? Uh, is it solving business problems for large clients or sort of becoming a platform for machine learning? Um, no, yeah, it's, it's definitely like being a platform for machine learning. Um, we, yeah, we, our goal is to build tools and we're still super early. We realize that uh, on the, like for instance, our hub, is still like super early. Uh, we have like a ton of things that we want to do, that we want to build. But uh, yeah, it's like we, we are maybe like 2% of the, of the way uh, there. But yeah, the goal is to provide uh, products that are not only for like a few companies, but are, are pretty much for everyone who's doing like machine learning. Um, if, if we if we can go there by you know doing uh, uh, some partnerships with larger companies first, uh, giving us the time to and and you know like the the space exploration time 
or credits to to build something great uh, on on the platform side. It's it's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the, the the ultimate goal is to is to build something that's going to be useful for everyone doing machine learning, which which we we expect that you know machine learning is going to be as big or bigger than than software engineering uh, in in five years. Uh, software engineer like you 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 won't do you won't do any software engineering without like at least of the time you'll use some machine learning, right? It's already kind of like the case, but uh, but uh, yeah, it's going to be going to be clearer and clearer. I feel like. I I think I agree, and this is also maybe a good answer for the something true that few people agree with. Uh, so yeah, uh, yeah. and if yeah. if we all manage to make machine learning more accessible than uh, software engineering, it's going to be even even bigger, right? Because uh, you know, like. Uh, some some of those models you can pretty much like uh, uh, you know develop an intuition of how they work just by you know like uh, giving them some inputs. Uh, if you make it like super easy to use, like it's it's gonna be it's gonna actually lower the barrier to entry to software engineering, which is still like something that you need to devote a lot of time into. Um, like to be a good software engineer today, you need to like pretty much spend a few years and also have like the support system uh, to enable you to grow as a software engineer. Um, I feel like maybe machine learning is going to be one way to make software engineering more, more accessible. Uh, so like anyone can, can start building stuff. Um, like no matter where where they are, what the what uh, academic background they have, uh, and and that that would be that would be super useful. It's kind of like uh, I'm going on a tangent here, but it's kind of like contrary to this opinion that you see in a lot of uh, you know like uh, Silicon Valley style uh, blog posts that you know one percent of the population is going going to be like machine learning builders, AI builders, and 99% uh, of the population of the world is, is going to be like consumer of technology pro produced by, uh, by AI. I feel like it's absolutely not the future that we want. Uh, so yeah, it should be like 100% of the population that knows how to build stuff with, with AI. And that's, yeah, that's, yeah that would be, a, that would be a, better, a much better future to look forward to. I, I uh, agree. I think um, I think maybe the optimistic version of that is uh, like you have uh, computer lessons in uh, grade school uh, today. You would have uh, ML or AI lessons in the future, um, and you would still have like research and cutting edge models that are maybe less accessible. But over time, like things will uh, percolate down and and be more accessible uh, to the wider community. Uh, and this is actually, this is a good segue to the next question, which is from uh, Uli, uh, from another Uli, Elio Bayev, who's uh, um, one of the founders of a really big uh, machine learning community in Israel. So he's asking, uh, what do you think about automation and simplification of the model creation process? So do you think we'll see uh, Wix for machine learning models that will have uh, wide adoption and recognition? Maybe you, maybe like auto NLP is a, is a step towards that. Hopefully. 
<laughs> no, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, in general, I think we are going to see more and more of those of those uh, of those tools. Um, and yeah, I think they are going to be like super useful in making it uh, more accessible, not not just like fine tuning a model, by the way, but also, um, yeah, like developing this intuition of how it works, what its limitations are, uh, like every machine learning has like a set of limitations. Um, that's why, uh, you know, like uh, explainability, uh, visualizations uh, are, are so important. Um, yeah, I mean, if you if you kind of like make it as accessible as possible for anyone to develop their intuition that, you know, a machine learning model is like a, a function approximator on a specific like train on a specific uh, space of of input. Um, yeah, you pretty much like uh, make it known and make it intuitively known to anyone what what a machine learning actually is, and that's it's it's never going to be like a silver bullet. Um, it's always going to be like a yeah a approximation on on like a, on like train on like a, a super specific set of of inputs. Yeah. Um... And the last question we have from the community is uh, from Shachal um, about, so you might have somewhat answered this, but if you have anything to add, um, how, how do you plan to support uh, real-time inference? Um, do you have uh, an inference package support to support the distilled or smaller models? Uh, so you touched upon this with like the acceleration and, and customization, but uh, uh yeah yeah definitely um so we have this product in uh in private beta uh like anyone should feel free to get in touch if they want to beta test it we are looking for like a lot of uh of beta testers um we, without diving too much into the the details uh it's it's built on top of uh software such as triton i don't know i don't know if you've heard of triton um which is like a pretty cool like onyx uh optimized runtime um uh yeah it's it's awesome that you there are, there are so many i feel like uh, there, there are going to be so many uh breakthroughs in um like constraint constraint production like super low latency uh, or super high volume uh in france so those, those are like super exciting subjects. Okay, so let's finish up with a uh, thank you uh, for all of those uh, questions. I'm sure everyone will be uh, glad that, that they got a chance. Um, and I guess let's end with uh, recommendations. Like it doesn't have to be uh, data science, machine learning related, um, but anything you would recommend to the audience. Um... Yeah, just maybe like uh, uh, pointing to something that we released recently, uh, the Hugging Face course. Um, we have like a tremendous team uh, in, in the open source team who's been doing like an awesome work. They, like doing a course, like, uh, you know, filming videos and stuff like that. Uh, you, you probably know that it's way more work that, that you would expect from the outside. <laughs> 
So they've been like tirelessly working on this course for the, the past few months. Um, I think it's really, really good. Uh, I, I would love some, some feedback from, from, from anyone um, interested in, in giving it. Um, but yeah, like we, we just like this week released uh, our, our, like the Hugging Face course. Uh, it's also going to be like community, community driven, community centric. Um, so yeah, like super interested in getting feedback from people on the course and, uh, and, and yeah, and, uh, trying, yeah, trying to help in, 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 in any way we can. I got the launch email for the course and I was excited. It looks uh, really cool and I'll definitely be recommending it to, to awesome. friends. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think that they've done like a great job at like explaining some, some of this, uh, of this stuff. Um, yeah. In a, in a more accessible way than the documentation, uh, diving into the code. Um, yeah, I, I think it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to looking at it myself. Um, I'll make two recommendations. One is non-technical. I just, uh, I'm not sure if I, if I, what I think uh, about whether it's good or not, but I just finished uh, seeing a series on Netflix that is called Sweet Tooth, which is based on a DC comic. Um, I enjoyed it. I'm not sure if it's like high quality or not, but I liked it. So maybe someone from the audience uh, who's also a nerd uh, might like it as well. Uh, and another thing that I would like to share, which is on a technical level, is by it's not yet uh, released, but by the time you're watching this, it will be. Um, Dagzub is going to like we're launching uh, an open source uh, um, tool that is called uh, Fast Data Science. Um, and the idea is uh, that a lot of the people that we've spoken to are working obviously uh, with versioning tools, uh, Git, and uh, if they want to incorporate data and model versioning, they're working with uh, DVC, uh, but a lot of them uh, are having a hard time either convincing colleagues to use it because they have to learn a new tool uh, or they, there's a lot of like command duplication and things like that. So fast data science, as it, its name suggests, is supposed to make those things uh, work faster and smoother. Um, the idea is to unify Git and DVC um, while leaving them as like a lower level uh, solution. So if you need a complex command, you can always dive one layer deeper and use the regular commands, but will make your life easier with the most common commands. Um, and so I'm excited to see what people think about it and how they use it. Um, and that's, that's, those are my recommendations this time. Um, so with that, uh, Julien, thank you for uh, giving us some of your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. Like I learned a ton of things, uh, even though I thought I knew, uh, like I knew what to expect. I was surprised and that was, uh, and that's fun. Um, so thanks again uh, for your time. And hopefully we can have another one of these conversations in the, in the future. Definitely. Sounds good. And thanks for your time as well. So have a great day. Uh, bye, bye, everyone. Thank have you for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the MLOps podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend or add a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get this episode. Thank you and see you next time.